Welcome to No Concessions, your favorite movie podcast where we explore subgenres of film. This week's subgenre is wow, I'm surprised this movie wasn't more racist. <laughs> <laughs> this week, what, we're, them continuously saying the blacks wasn't enough for you, <laughs> right? The fact I, that that's as far as it went <laughs> for real, especially for 2000, and considering who was in this movie, yeah, yeah. And what's crazy about this movie is the advertisements rely heavily on a DMX presence. Yeah. But the movie itself isn't, it doesn't have a lot of DMX. He's in two it. scenes. Uh, in this week's episode, we're talking about Belly from 1996. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, DMX is in that movie with Tupac. It, this week, we're doing Romeo Must Die, starring Jet Li and a few other people. But before we get to that, uh, we're not doing an opening segment this week. And again, just as a reminder, episodes are going to be a little bit sporadic because of quarantining and shit like that. We're over here in my apartment. We're socially distanced. We're being very responsible. It's a good time. Uh, you should see. That's got to be at least like eight feet right there. Yeah, We're even using the exact same microphones we used last time. So there's no cross-contamination <laughs> there. Exactly. I think of it as we're adopting the intermittent uh, reward strategy that <laughs> phone games and social media apps use yeah where <laughs> you don't really know when you're gonna get rewarded for looking at your podcast app but all of a sudden <laughs> oh my god there's a new episode yeah, of see, no concession <laughs> oh shit all right so yeah let's uh let's do a little bit of small talk before we get into the review no opening segment this week i received a little bit of criticism from somebody who's probably not even going to listen to the any more episodes <laughs> but he was just like hey i think i would listen to these shows if you didn't have like a 30 minute opening segment where you just talked about random shit <laughs> and i said you know what i'll give that a shot let's see how these episodes go and here we are let's uh, what have you guys been up to during the quarantine well, I decided in my infinite wisdom to try my hand at this whole home ownership thing and uh, regrets left and right. <laughs> there was uh, a really, a really bad heat wave in San Diego a couple weeks ago, and we decided that was the best time to scrape all the popcorn off of our ceilings, and I never want to do that ever again. I'm going to die in this house. Well, that's the goal, right? <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure you want to die in that house? Bottom line is, haven't had that much time to watch a lot of things. However, I will say that I've been thinking a lot about uh, Twin Peaks because I finally got around to watching season three, like the, the specialty short run mini series, but it's technically a third season of the cult classic Twin Peaks from the early 90s. And, you know, David Lynch is a complex individual, uh, hit and miss, mostly miss when he does hit, he hits very well. This show, let me put it this way. Originally Showtime ordered nine episodes and then they bumped it up to 18 episodes. And let me just say that they should have kept it at nine episodes. (laughs) Okay. Oh, shit. Charles, um, I work in manufacturing, and as soon as that was allowed to open up again, I went back to work. Um, so I've mostly just been uh, writing uh, SOP, standard operating procedure, for the manufacturing company that I work for because they've just been kind of winging it for the five years they've been around before I joined the company. <laughs> and when I got hired um, to be a laser operator, I make the company I work for does makes 
organizers and accessories for tabletop and board games. I'm not going to advertise for them here because I don't care. Um, <laughs> and I got hired as a laser operator and I came in and I was like, none of the, like half the shit you guys do doesn't make any sense and actually slows everything down. And I would just like do slowly things that made my job easier and also made the whole process faster. And then I quit and then they were like, hey, you should come back and do all those things that you were doing, but like make them the rules. And I'm like, all right. We got to talk about paying me more because I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna write all this uh, material for your company to work better for what you were paying me before. So that's where I'm at. I did watch all of Steven Universe though, and let me tell you, cried at that cartoon a bunch. I couldn't hack it. I couldn't. I couldn't watch past like maybe ten episodes. I was interested in what was going on. The first on. season. I was like, holy shit, this season is long and it takes a while to get to the stuff that I, cause I watched it live when it was like first airing um, to the end of season three and everything that I remembered from it was in season two and three. I was like, oh, man, season one's got some like, it's got some good essential stuff in it, but because they're like, it's just a full thing of it's 52 episodes. Give for, me a fucking break. No, not 52. It's 26 episodes. Oh, and, much better. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I feel like this could have been 13 and you could have condensed a lot of the stuff into that initial 13. Um, but once they find their balance of the slice of life stuff and the actual like overarching story, it keeps you in between the big emotional hits and the finale. And then the mood, I didn't really like the movie. Um, <laughs> not enough to make it a, bad no concessions but based on like the rest of the series i didn't really feel like it held up and that's a another discussion for another time but i did cry to a cartoon recently so my my problem specifically with steven universe is that it's preachy in the way that anime is preachy and it's not fun to watch it at least in the episodes that i saw fair it does it does feel like uh, baby's first anime in the first half of the first season. <laughs> We're like, all right, this is a bunch of fucking weebs made this show, and they're this is what they've got. Because um, it's like Rebecca Sugar's first show that she ran, and everyone else who was like at higher positions on it had just been like working under people on other shows on Cartoon Network, and just all ended up in producer and head writer and all these like all these positions. And so you could tell it takes them a second to kind of find their groove. If you can make it through the first season, then you can get through the rest of it. And then like the sequel series, which is set two years after the end of the series is like only it's 20 episodes that are 10 minutes each. And it, it's just fucking on top of it. That's what's up. Well, I've been sitting at home watching a bunch of shitty movies. <laughs> and let me tell you, Den of Thieves is probably one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my fucking life. I think I walked out of Den of Thieves. It was it was terrible. It's it's a terrible movie and nobody should watch it. We should do that for our no concessions actually. Actually, that's going to be my no concessions pick for this week. <laughs> Spoiler alert. I can't fucking stand that movie. Anyway, uh let's get into the review of Romeo Must Die. Uh, it was directed by Andrzej Bart. 
tell we act. I, it's, we've it's had, definitely Andre. The is first it Andre? spelling, but yeah. I can't really tell you what the surname is supposed to be. <laughs> I've seen some clever spellings of Andre, so I'm well versed <laughs> in all the flavors of Andre that you could read. Last name, though, it's a first for me. A peach passion fruit. <laughs> <laughs> Strawberry passion. I can go on. I don't think there's a mango flavor of Andre, the best champagne. But anyway, it was produced by Joel Silver and Jim Van Wick. Screenplay by Eric Burnt and John Jarrell. Story by Mitchell Kapner. Starring Jet Li, Aaliyah, Isaiah Washington, Russell Wong, DMX, and Delroy Lindo. I noticed this in the credits as well. It's weird that DMX is built above Delroy Lindo. Right? It's so weird. Anyway. What uh, was going like? It was 2000. Delroy Lindo was, was still 99. pretty big. Like, it was produced in 99. It was like made in 99, came out in 2000. What was going I'm like trying to remember what was going on with DMX's career that it was like, we really got to pump the DMX in this fucking movie. Yeah, true. Music by Stanley Clark and Timbaland. Cinematography by Glenn MacPherson. Edited by Derek G. Brechin. Uh, distributed, nope. Release date, March 22nd, 2000. Running time, 115 minutes, and the budget was $25 million with a box office of $91 million, which, I mean, is impressive. Uh, this movie is, for the year 2000, as long as fuck. Yeah, dude. This is a long movie. I was going to watch, watch this and the movie for the next episode uh, the same day, and I was like, both these movies are longer than I remember them, and I don't <laughs> know if I have the energy tonight. I, I watched them both this morning. And I tell you what, going from Romeo Must Die straight into <laughs> the following film. Next week we're doing, or not next week, in two weeks, you'll hear the review for Sucker Punch. And god damn, that's Sucker Punch. We're not talking about that. I, I, let me, I saw that after another 12-hour day of home renovations. <laughs> so I fired up at about like 11.30 p.m. Running time, two hours. Motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. So the movie is about Jet Li, who escapes from prison after his brother is murdered. And he comes to the U.S. as a former cop because in movies, Jet Li, I don't think, ever plays the bad guy like Jackie Chan. Um, he, he does in War. The he was one? sort of a bad well, guy. Well, in the third Mummy movie, Rise of the Dragon oh, Emperor, right. he's... <laughs> The uh, evil general. <laughs> What's fucking that was fun. the last movie he did before he left the United States. <laughs> Dog. <laughs> the funniest thing, I actually watched the first two mummy movies mm. and I couldn't find uh, Rise of the Dragon Emperor anywhere. It was randomly on TNT the last time we were allowed to be in bars and I was sitting in a bar for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I miss it. I miss being in bars. Yeah, dude. I, yeah. miss, I miss getting wasted. Yeah, like in public, like... It's fucking sick. There's nothing quite like sitting in a dark fucking room for four hours and walking out into the sunlight as your pupils shrink. Yeah, I'm tired of being on patios, dog. Like I've, I've gone to, I've sat on patios for like bars that have them because the only way they can stay open. And I'm like, this fucking sucks. Like I don't, I don't want to be on the street just trying to whatever. That's uh, yeah. quarantine's a nightmare. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. And, and you know what else is a nightmare? Aaliyah's acting. 
She's <laughs> not good. When the movie started, I was like, hey, she's not that bad. Yeah. But as as the movie went on and you saw that she was one note throughout it, yeah. it's like, oh, no. And then she cries at one point. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. Let me let me reel it in. Let me reel it in. Let me reel it I, in. I was going back like to what I uh, when I um, like interjected a bit earlier. I think with the reason that they build DMX so highly is because it was Aaliyah's first movie. And it was Jet Li's first, like, not his first film, like, in American-produced stuff, but, like, the first one where he's, like, a lead actor in it. And so maybe they were like, we got to lead in. We got we to gotta get the blacks in here. With the- yeah. And you know what? This is a pre-9-11 movie. And I have this theory about diversity in media. Up until 9-11, like, things were diverse as shit. Yeah. Because there was, like, what, three white people in this movie? And, and they, they were, like, hardly had They were, like, in four scenes. Yeah, dog. And everybody else was, like, Asian or black. Yeah. They're all explicitly <laughs> black and Chinese actors it went the entire on like, time. Yeah, it went on like that for so long. I was actually surprised to see any right? white people. And it's there. 9-11, I'm telling you. And this movie called Dru- almost quadrupled its budget. And you're going to tell me that black doesn't travel? Like, what are you, what yeah, are you doing? Yeah, right, dog? You, uh, the black and Chinese alliance has never been stronger. Half the Chinese <laughs> actors speak Mandarin in the scenes they're in. Like it's true, it's true. This movie, I I want to hold this movie up oh, man, as gotta, being a beacon of diversity in film. Are you fucking kidding? Now I got to watch all these movies through that lens of like pre nine eleven, pre nine where I'm we were in the eighties and nineties in film. I'm telling you, it's nine eleven because as soon as nine eleven hit, that's when the good old boys started coming back yeah. in. Everybody had to be cops. Everybody had to be patriots. And like, what audience are they trying to appeal to? It's white people trying to make them feel safe again. Yeah, dog. Oh, we can't have all these brownies on the screen. <laughs> Ch- Chinese people. Last what? time we saw brown people on television, it was nine eleven. <laughs> <laughs> Oh shit. So yeah, it's uh it's the movie is fascinating in that there's like a big cast and like with the exception of Aaliyah and Jet Li, everybody's like pretty capable at acting. Yeah. And Jet Li, it's not necessarily his fault because his he's like I don't know how what his capability with English is, but like he doesn't emote well. Yeah. And he's like uh He's, like, very stilted with his lines. But it makes sense. Like, English has a second language. Yeah. And even, like, it being explicit that he's from Hong Kong. Like, it'd be one thing there is, like, well, do your best American accent, Jet Li. <laughs> and, he, and that's what we got? That'd be a different thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he was born and raised in America. Yeah. <laughs> so, I guess in that way, like, you can, you can forgive some. Um, but, yeah, like, everybody... Just about everybody else is pretty solid in what they're doing. I mean, Anthony Anderson is Anthony Anderson. That's just And this is young Anthony Anderson too. When he was fat as shit. And he was like, I'm just a funny black man in every movie. I was like, and did his gap get smaller over time? He probably got braces. Yeah. Because he still has a gap. He still got a diastema, but it's a lot smaller. Yeah. Did you use the technical term? The diastema is what the gap between your front two teeth is called the fucking dork with technical terms and shit today it's useless information to have but now you have it too yes (laughs) i will promptly forget it the next time i get drunk what'd you think uh it's it i could tell it had a story to tell but it did it in like such a roundabout convoluted way i was 
not quite getting lost the whole time, but I'm just like, this is a Jet Li movie. Forget the fact that it's the first tentpole Jet Li movie. There need to be more paper thin excuses for Jet Li to get into fights with people. It was hard to tell what the focus was supposed to be. Like, are we supposed to be focused on the this whatever land deal that the uh, yeah the main two not even the main two yeah like O'Day and Chu like are we supposed to be focused on this like land deal we have going on is the story about Aaliyah and Jet Li they get the most screen time but is it about right like it felt like they kept they kept hammering that in but the bigger focus kept like going back to these two like this. Chinese and this black gang or gangs and they say they're at war with with each other but we never actually see any of that yeah from the beginning they're just like we don't want Chinese people in our club and I was like well black people are like that sometimes and And that was that was the most fucked up part about it. That dude just comes over and starts yeah. the fight. He's just like what, he called him Zipper Face or something like that. Yeah, and I was like, I was like Jesus Christ, where even is that slur from? Like, what are you, <laughs> what are we doing? It was fucked up. A lot but, of racism in this movie, but like also weirdly little racism. Yeah. Yeah, you would expect them to like be consistent with it. Yeah, like they say they call they call uh, Jet Li dim sum a couple times, but he he it like said he delivered dim sum. Like he plays up the Asian delivery driver thing to like get out of that situation. It doesn't fucking work because of course it doesn't. But um, and that's then he like, beats the shit out of those yeah. dudes anyway. And then yeah, the Asian like the. They don't even like refer to. They're not like triad. Like the Asian guys that like run their side Asian of it. Families, yeah. They like they say the blacks sometimes, but they never like say anything explicitly anti-black. Yeah, and I'm like, man, that is a different experience than I've had with Chinese immigrants. <laughs> Same. But Oakland has a. Uh, had a lot of uh, black and Chinese people for a long time relative to other oh, places so in California. so it was even a demographically correct movie yeah. on top By of that? By setting it in Oakland and having the gangs be black and Chinese, it makes sense. It does. I've been to a place that I still dream about. It was a Chinese restaurant, Chinese buffet, or not even a buffet. It's like, um, like uh, Chipotle where you just make plates mm-hmm. and shit. But they had a chicken curry banh mi that I will never shit. forget. The shit was bomb. It was one of the best sand, sandos I've had in my life. And I, I, I can't go back and get it because I don't want to break the illusion. And they're probably <laughs> closed. It's probably been like seven years since I've had it. Yeah. But it was bomb as fuck. I do have a theory on why it kept hammering the, the love connection between Aaliyah and Jet Li. Because I think... This script started out as people wanting to adapt some Shakespearean but like modern interpretation of Romeo and Juliet. And then we had through, just had that Leonardo DiCaprio one. Right. I was going to say you had that shitty Romeo plus Juliet movie, which I won't get into any detail of, but no one should ever see My that movie. Sword. <laughs> and it's a gun, gun branded with sword. I think they started out with that intention and then slowly it became more of like a, well, no one really cares about Shakespeare that much. Maybe people do. I personally don't. And the fact that the movie had such a convoluted story at first 
actually made me think it was a very good representation of a Shakespearean story because I have no idea whatever happens in any of those plays. Like you never even hear the name Romeo until like the last 10 minutes of the movie when Jet Li's about to get shot in the face and the guy says, sorry, Romeo, you got to die. But he says it so fast that you almost can't even yeah. pick up the fact that he said it. Because the whole time I'm thinking, is Jet Li Romeo? The whole like trailer and like ad campaign of the movie was centered around like Romeo, picture of Jet Li. Romeo, picture of Jet Li. Yeah, and the assumption is... Uh, is- Aaliyah's Juliet but at at this point Aaliyah was like towards the peak of her career prior to dying after 9-11 yeah you can't uh, you can't really go past she died before 9-11 oh did she she died in August of that uh, same year of 2001 oh oh I'm sorry she I, died three weeks before 9-11 oh wow I looked it up so like I know Aaliyah died right after this and she was in what was it fucking Queen of the Damned Queen of the Damned yeah I was like, she only did like two movies, and this is the only. This is the first. This is the one that released before she died. Yeah, and this movie has a lot going on in it, and because it's so convoluted, it doesn't give you like the good things. Too many of the good things, like Delroy Lindo Mm -hmm. and his business operations with Mac, and then uh, the Chinese side with Mister Singh and his whole gang. Like, I think those two things are like really interesting. That. If it had been just the story of these two competing gangs, both trying to like work into the same deal and one's trying to go legit and one's trying to take over. That's an interesting story set, especially like set in the context of late nineties, early two thousands, Oakland. That's an interesting story. And even like if it were just if take Aaliyah out of this movie, and it's probably a really good movie. Yeah. Yeah, but because we had to have this shift of following the one of the gang leader's daughters around who doesn't have anything to do. Like she's not Nothing. involved. Nothing. She has zero agency aside from like giving her bodyguard the slip and buying kids ice cream. Yeah, it's like, all right, so we get that we're supposed to like her, but she doesn't do anything. She's explicitly not involved in the business at all. That's right. She's too busy running her cafe slash boutique slash dance studio. <laughs> yeah, that was such a weird introduction. And I know it's because she does dance, but it's like, do you have to do all of those? Why not just save it until they go to the club later in the movie? It, it's really strange. Yeah, but just have it be a clothing store. Yeah. And then... Maybe that was the vibe in 2000s. I wasn't yeah, going to maybe. malls. Maybe, maybe Forever 21 had a cafe in it <laughs> up until after 9-11 when they said, we have to have a single vertical America. White people will never <laughs> want to drink a latte after dancing in some studio. We got to take them out. <laughs> yeah, like, Separate those. Starbucks on every corner. Limited to, limited to clothing. No cafes. <laughs> I think watching Jet Li try to solve his brother's death and finding out that his father is complicit in it. That was really good. Cool story. And like the whole, even like the little bit of backstory we get of his dad being into some shit when they were in Hong Kong and Jet Li taking the fall for it and coming like. We got to talk about the prison escape real quick. 
It's specifically oh, one of the three scenes where we they do that Mortal Kombat Eleven shit. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yes. exactly, exactly. It was so. At first, I was just like, "Damn, is this the kind of movie yeah, it's, it's going to be? be?" I was like, "Oh shit, I haven't seen Romeo Must Die <laughs> since it came out." Probably right. It was, took it took like fifteen minutes to show Jet Li for the first time, but once it started showing him fight, and then it cut to the Mortal Kombat fatality. Like, oh, shit. I'm like, oh is this okay, this movie? took a turn. I want to see where this goes. <laughs> oh shit. Uh, I was hoping that somebody would explode into rib cages at some point, just like forty rib cages. It would have been really nice. Anyway, you were saying, um, yeah, it's it was really interesting to get to that point because I had honestly up at that point forgotten that Jet Li was supposed to be in this movie because like we see there's the opening club scene and they're in DMX's club. It's called Casino, and <laughs> there's a you know. What's his name? Kai or the bad Chinese dude? Poe? No, that's the brother. I have no idea. I don't remember. Anyway, there's a quick fight scene there, and I'm like, and then guns. I'm like, okay, is this gonna be? Because I was like, is this gonna be the whole movie where it's like it was the black people use guns and the Chinese people use kung fu the whole time? I thought that no, no, not quite. Black people did start busting out some karate moves too. The black dudes that do look like they're out of a black exploitation film. (laughs) Two of the dudes have the most cartoonish afros. (laughs) I'm like, fuck these fucking Jim Kelly looking black belt Jones ass. Only dudes in here who don't have guns. And it was like, that scene ends. And then there's the next scene where, like, Poe is hung, like, strung up on the streetlight. And, like, all right, well, Jet Li's got to come in at some point, right? And then it cuts to finding out, like, to Aaliyah for no reason. And then, then it jumps to Hong Kong and then jumps to prison. I'm like, oh shit. Oh, shit, what's going on? It's what's going just, on, man? Just this international crime? What's going on? And it was like, he was a police officer. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and then he finds out, he starts a fight. And I'm like, okay, is this like a crime thing where he has to pretend to like start a riot or whatever? And then like they smuggle him out that way? And no, they were just going to beat his ass <laughs> in this Chinese prison. <laughs> and he escapes. And then randomly when he kicks one of the dudes... We get a CGI cut of the dude's arm breaking. Like, oh, fuck. This is 2000. They're probably really proud of that effect. We're going to see it a bunch through this whole movie. And then it doesn't happen again until the third act. Doug, when he grabs the the correctional officer's throat from the window, I was just like, Doug, why would you, why would you do that rather than just dress up as one of the guards and have him open it that way and then beat him up? Yeah. Like, that doesn't... Why would you just grab? He could just back out of that. What if he was out of arm's reach? Would like you're short, dude. I I suspend my uh, belief anytime I see any kind of martial arts movie. So I was totally on board for it. However, I will say that I hate the trope of grizzled action hero starts with him in prison, and then some inciting incident causes him to break out. Which then makes me think, well, if he could break out at any time, why was he just chilling in prison for so long? In this case, it's because he was taking the rap for his brother and dad. He was in there to serve their sentences without causing static. And then he found <sighs> they're out they're in that America. His... They don't care. Well, it you... turns out they don't care. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I mean, his brother kind of cares. He keeps that basketball that they almost that kept them from drowning. That was a weird flashback. <sighs> Tell me. 
that was there. There's a lot of weird shit in this movie. I, one of the weird things is when Jet Li beats a woman using Aaliyah <laughs> because he wouldn't fight a woman. I was I like, like, what is happening? <laughs> this isn't better. I liked it better when Scott Pilgrim did it. <laughs> oh shit! Well, Jet Li walks so that Scott Pilgrim could run. I guess <laughs> <laughs> he he literally is using uh, Aaliyah like a marionette to attack this woman and eventually hits the woman hard enough where she gets a uh, Mortal Kombat 11 skeleton as she's jabbed <laughs> through the heart by a piece of metal. And it's just like, dog, what the fuck is happening in this movie? It, the, I, the, I fully believe the only reason that that assassin or whatever is a woman is so that Aaliyah has something to do in that sequence. I think you're right. Because she doesn't even drive her own car to that place to where they find those those guys killed. It's like, wait, are they driving Aaliyah's car? And is it only so that Jet Li... Because at that point, Jet Li had found his brother's car. Yeah. Because that's how they find that, because he found the address in his cane. So it's like, well, is this so that she's also there? Because we see them drive in Poe's car later, but, like, for what? Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it's just the only reason that's a woman is so that they had something to do with Aaliyah in that scene. Who's like wearing a skirt? Yeah, it's. I don't know. I feel like this whole movie. Uh, maybe here's my here's my plan, or here's how it works out in my head. This was made for overseas audiences because you have Jet Li in it, and you have like a large Asian contingent in it. Or specifically Chinese, mm. and you send the movie overseas, and it endears audiences over there to Aaliyah's music because you know Timbaland had that fucking cooing yeah. baby. This was the cooing baby era of Timbaland, and it was really <laughs> good shit. It was, a, and so that way she can sell more records over there because she's got a connection to yeah. this like incredibly famous actor. Yeah, I was surprised that there wasn't a diegetic. Aaliyah song in the movie because it opens with the DMX song and then DMX is there. Yes, yeah. But we don't hear Aaliyah sing a song until the credits. And Anthony Anderson call, says she's a, with comments on how she looks like Aaliyah in the movie. Does he? Yeah, I think he does. When he pops out of the store looking for her, he's like, where'd you go with your Aaliyah looking ass? Oh, shit, you're right. And I was like, this is the subtitles say something different. Yeah, it says little looking ass. Yeah, and I was like, like, that doesn't because that's I, I noted that because it didn't make any sense. Yeah, and I was like, that's not what I heard, and it doesn't make sense as a sentence. No, it doesn't. And I was like, and he probably imp- he probably uh, improvised that shit, and it was the best cut they had. <laughs> he was probably like, standing on the corner yelling for like ten minutes, and this dude's name is Akbar. God damn. Well, I thought his name. So what happened with that was uh, Jet Li grabs some taxi so he can drive off to go investigate his brother's death. And then Aaliyah jumps into the back and says, just drive. And then looks at his name. And it's clearly some Middle Eastern guy. And the name says Akbar. I thought the name was going to be Romeo. Like, Oh, that's how you get the name Romeo. And then everyone calls him that for the rest of the movie. But no, they hold out until the last 10 minutes of the movie. Sorry, Romeo. 
there was a sequence that would have worked for Romeo as well when he got picked to play football against that gang that he beat up earlier, which was weird in itself. Like, why wouldn't they just beat him up? Right? Why? Why go through the motions of we got to be nice and play <laughs> and play football <laughs> so that Aaliyah doesn't see us beat him up? Like, she just saw. <laughs> she was there. It was at her apartment. They he fucked them up in the first place. Really, really quite something else. And it's, she knows you're in a gang. Like, she's aware of this. Why are we pretending? It doesn't make any sense. It, she knows all about her dad's work. She knows that all of those are her dad's cronies. And so why would she even agree? Why should, would she even talk Jet Li into playing football with them? Unless if she knew he was going to whoop all their asses. And, like, and nobody stops in the middle of the game when he's beating these dudes up to be like, yo, yo, yo. Like, this is not how this game works. <laughs> like, we, at least go with the, continue the facade of we're playing football and you don't get it. Yeah. You can't just start kicking the shit out of people, <laughs> kicking dudes in the head, tossing them the football. You just forward lateral to this dude. <laughs> like, That's illegal in football. They dropped all pretense of trying to make people getting beat up as like, oh, it's just a football move. No, Jet Li literally tossed someone a football and then just knocked him in the face a few times before moving on to the next guy. He does it probably three times in that sequence. At one point, tossing the football to someone, jumping, and then kicking two dudes in the head at the same time. <laughs> this, is, this is one of the reasons why I don't like wire work movies. The wire work is egregious in this movie. Yeah, dog. I Especially in that last fight scene. Yeah, yeah. Is that the one where he like jumps off of three walls before kicking a guy? Well, there's a point That's where the warehouse. But yeah, that bad. was fucking bad <laughs> because it also had the '90s fucking slow motion where the frame blurs to the max, and it's just like dudes like jumping around. And you can see his fucking after image. There's a point in that last fight where they go to kick each other, move away from each other, and then go back towards each other i'm like you're not even trying now like that's- yeah they made up for it though with the best mortal combat fatality oh the that one is <laughs> that one is straight up mortal combat that's really like some is. jack shit like he just double ham fist <laughs> like hammer fist you on the top of the head and it compresses the whole spine but it happens in the air with a kick and it's really cool that he convinced his dad to kill himself <laughs> yeah, that was fucking wild. <laughs> he was like, "No, I've already, I already have brought honor to my brother by finding who's responsible for his death. Now it's time for you to bring honor to your son. And if you don't, the other families will." And his dad just shoots himself. He's like, "Damn, cold blooded." But also at this point, he doesn't know that uh, his dad has killed all the other families. <laughs> oh, I missed that part. Yeah, I'm, that doesn't make any sense then. Well, Han, I think it was to Han like get, get control of the land deeds they had, so he could get a monopoly on. Like, yeah, like he explicitly kills on, like, football stadium. Those last two guys. Oh, because the assassins that were there at the pl- place were his dad's guys. Yeah. Oh, I wasn't really playing that close attention. It it's turns fucking out. stupid and doesn't matter. <laughs> but even like, if it had, if that had been the focus of the movie, then would have more impact, and you would have remembered that that's what was happening. Yeah. Because, like, we even only get, we get one instance of those on both sides. We get uh, Mac shaking down the dude at the, who's catching crabs. 
and we get. Oh, uh, also, I just want to remark that actor that was the dude who was getting hassled by Mac is an actor in a show called 19-2. He's in the French and English version. It's a show from Montreal where he plays a cop who's an alcoholic. It's fucking sick. I mean, I know everybody's touchy about cops right now, <laughs> but this show, this cop show. Look, the shows exist already, as long as we don't make any more. <laughs> <laughs> Even Brooklyn Nine-Nine was like, mm, we got to take a break at least. <laughs> well, COVID, COVID is a good excuse for that. Anyway, you were saying. If that, so we get Mac hus- like hassling that one dude, and then a couple minutes later we see, um, after we found out that, oh, fuck, I just looked it up, Kai is the his um his dad's like enforcer after we see that kai like blows up that drug boat or whatever um we see a scene where uh chu is like fucking practically rubbing his hands together (laughs) as these other two uh these other two chinese guys are like strung up in a meat locker also i want to know where's the gif of kai blowing up the boat because he doesn't just hit a remote and then the boat blows up behind him he kind of like leans over and grins and then points the remote as though he's like changing the channel (laughs) and then the boat explodes that's a very me move i would do that (laughs) ah man very stylish and also i this is going to sound real real something of me but like compared to Chu, jet lee looks real ugly he's he's not a handsome dude he's not a handsome dude at all Chu Chu is like a very good looking man like kai, kai. Chu's Chu his dad even Chu's better looking <laughs> yeah. like i feel like basically everyone is better looking than maybe not anthony anderson <laughs> but like everybody is better looking than jet lee in this movie yeah i was expecting kai to be like dirty um but i was like no nah, that's a like it's like he's he's tall and he's really fit and, like he's a good looking dude yeah and but i was fully expecting him to be like betraying everybody and i was like man they took the handsome dude and made him the bad guy yeah and jet lee's just like the one who's already famous yeah and Mac also, good looking dude. Some of those suits he was wearing were fucking crazy. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? Like that long one at the beginning. When that long dumb. one was wild. I was like, yeah, that's, that's when Niggas was wearing in 2000. <laughs> yeah. Like, that was such realistic. But the rest of his outfits are pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, and I expected him to be dirty as well. Like I, he, he just was like at the end of the movie. I thought. Let me rephrase that. I should say that I thought he was going to be the source of the issues. Yeah. But it turns out he was just like, I don't want to go legit. I don't want to be in the skybox of the Oakland Raiders, which is again real compelling, and I'm much more interested in that story. Yeah. Of these two dudes who came up in a game together. One of them wants to go legit, and one of them doesn't. But it's like still like knows his place quote unquote and to and just looking for the opportunity to like because the dude's he sees the other guys going soft great cool and like especially him having a deal with the rival gang leader imagine imagine what kind of oakland that would have built that would have been so fucking crazy so you have 
a gang owned territory basically mm. you have the oakland stadium and then you've got this guy who's gone legit who just owns a bunch of real estate around that area yeah and then the chinese gang as well that owns stuff in that area mm. it would have been perfectly fine you wouldn't even need needed like yeah. to be drug dealing anymore you could have just been exceedingly wealthy yeah could have worked out a really good deal but those guys were really dumb yeah short-sighted yeah, I mean they get they both get a check for fucking thirty eight million dollars, like yeah. in two thousand. Oh yeah, God, I would I would I would do those same things for thirty eight million dollars, <laughs> provided I didn't get caught. Because what's the fun in having that much money if you get caught, yeah. right? Can't do anything with it from prison, right? This guy owns this dock or whatever. You get paid thirty eight million dollars. You fucking just pay that dude off. Say hey, I know I came and I disrupted your life to this degree. So here's here's a couple mil. Like, off rip. Yeah. You're cool, right? Like, we're cool? No, we're not cool, but I'll take your fucking money. Right. <laughs> I was like, cool. Right. Just, like, leave my family alone. Like, we're good. <laughs> Here's $5 million. You can continue to do gang shit. I'm just not going to anymore. <laughs> you can have the gang shit. I have a house. I got, I have this property. I'm good. I won't even be in your business anymore. I'm just not gonna, I'm just not going to be involved directly. Yeah, that could have, they could work something out. Yeah, could have could have turned out for the better, a lot better. But even it turning out poorly is an engaging story. If we didn't have to follow Ali around for half of it. Yeah, you get rid of the romantic bits in that, and yeah. then you have like actually a really compelling crime story. Because they don't even like deliver on the romance part of it. Not at all. But I they read old hands at the end of the movie. Do they even kiss? No. <laughs> they so I looked it up because I was like, is this on some like interracial shit because like you know how the only time there's like interracial kisses is if one is if the man is white that's like the only time it's allowed in film uh like if we look at like will smith's movies and will smith is the one of the few black men that america will tolerate as the hero (laughs) and (laughs) he never has a white love interest and even in the one that he kind of does, Hancock, they don't kiss. Uh, yeah, same with iRobot, fuck. too. Black men, or the only time interracial kisses happen, if it's not the point of the story, is when the it's a white man and a woman of a different race. That's the only time you see interracial kisses, unless Holy racism shit. is the point of the movie. I think I we got no us idea. a new Bechdel test here. Oh, my God. Because so I, like, I really want to know, is, is this true? Because... I'm not thinking of any counters well, to that right now. You don't really see a lot, but even if it's not, even if it's not um, two white people, even if it, like a white person's not involved, you very seldom see like a Latinx person and a black person in yeah. interracial stuff in film. Like until what like Hitch, fuck? I had no fucking idea. Yeah, it's a weird thing with like movies where if there's an interracial couple and that's not the point of the movie, you almost never see them kiss. What the fuck? So somebody, somebody important, listen to this episode and tweet facts about this, so we can come back at another point. All, everybody listening, send this to somebody that's very important. Yeah, we'll make revisit sure both listen. these points: the post nine eleven uh, diversity issue and the interracial kiss stuff. We gotta go what into more fuck? in depth later. I um, mean, I always look away when people are kissing on screen anyway, <laughs> so it's not as if I could tell you. But so I looked it up. I was like, is this on some of that shit? But it's they shot a version where they do kiss, 
but the decision was made. It's like, it's kind of weird if right after convincing his dad to kill himself, he goes and makes out with somebody. <laughs> Can't argue there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And that's like, that true. was the argument against using that one that like made sense to me. I was like, yeah, it's kind of like that moment right away. If they cut to like a couple days or weeks later, different story. Fucking have them kiss. But because it just goes to, and they just gonna walk out, first of all. There, several murders have happened and they just let them like they just let Chetley just walk out yeah that's true I guess they're just happy that a gang lord is dead no oh you know what I, did the cops even enter the house when they were leaving yeah the, they the, were the, rushing by him yeah because they, the house was on fire so that's why they initially showed up yeah and they're like were run- there any fire trucks outside no we only see police officers this movie this movie <laughs> and they just like let him leave and it was like they the police probably know this is the home of a well-connected chinese crime lord and a chinese dude is sleeping yeah yep all right so did you guys bring a list of things to make this movie better yeah although we covered them uh oh, okay. the first thing that i want to see more of is more excuses for Jet Li fights. That has nothing to do with <laughs> the the potential interesting story you could have if you cut Jet Li at all entirely and only focus on the gang um, interactions. I think keeping Jet Li in so that there's a someone that we're seeing the movie through, like the everything going through, is fine. It's- yeah, you could do that with the the O'Day guy though yeah fair like i this is a guy who's got a history um of being a professional criminal and he's trying to go straight here's all the different like adversity he has to fight and like having to accomplish that Mm -hmm. but if it's a jet lee movie i want to see some jet lee fights it's true yeah there were far fewer fights than i expected yeah and really turn it up to 11 with the mortal combat fatalities (laughs) yeah they they kept it at a tasteful amount However, but if, if I'm watching a mar- martial arts movie, I want to have the ridiculous factor cranked up. Yeah, it's fair. If you've got that effect, you fucking use it. Like, why are we only using this three times? And they introduce it, and then it's not in the rest of the first act or the second act at all. We see it. The only two other two times we see it are within, like, 20 minutes of each other. And mine was remove Aaliyah, um, just have it be Jet Li investigating his brother's murder in the, with the backdrop of these two criminal organizations having the, cause they have the truce in order to get this Oakland, this, these, uh, this Raider stadium built. And it's just like, that just is a thing. They don't lead us into why there's a truce. It's just, Hey, sorry, your son got popped. You know, we didn't do it. Um, and then we find out all the other stuff through Jet Li investigating his brother's murder. And maybe instead of Aaliyah being around, it's through O'Day's son who wants to be involved but isn't. Because they even make it a point of it being his son was the last person that Jet Li's brother talked to before he got murdered. So there was clearly something, and then that never gets delivered on because homie gets thrown out the window. So it's like, have Jet Li partner, like, not even partner up with, but like that's the avenue through which we learn the other stuff going on is you were the last one who talked to my brother. What was he trying to tell you? What does this have to do with the stuff between our families? And then it's like a crime procedural, like it's a crime movie with like a cop who 
maybe everyone thinks is dirty, but turns out isn't dirty. But that doesn't actually matter because he got busted in Hong Kong and America doesn't care. Yeah. But having it be basically taking out the love story element and having it be gently investigating his brother's murder. And that's how we find out the other stuff going on. Oh, that's it. That's all I got. Also more DMX, just DMX throughout. <laughs> Have DMX be the bodyguard instead of uh, Anthony Anderson. That's the only change. <laughs> if you want to see a DMX Jet Li movie, there is one, Cradle to the Grave. It's very bad. Cradle oh. to the Grave is awful. <laughs> <laughs> but that does exist for all your DMX movie needs. Hell yeah. So for me, I want to see what Jet Li's zip tie training is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see what exactly he's doing to learn how to fucking zip tie people together like that. That's incredible. Two, I think getting rid of a lot of the wire work and just letting it be like natural fighting would make. I mean, I'm fine with like exaggerated jumping, but like floating across the room and shit. Yeah. Unless if you're going to let everybody do it, then don't do it at all. Yeah. Make that part of your universe like Scott Pilgrim. Or pull back and just like only when we need it for safety are we going to do wire work? Like yeah, yeah. And lastly, uh, emphasize either either emphasize the love story or emphasize the crime shit. Yeah, like don't in, don't interweave the two. That's why the movie was so long because it had so many pointless fucking scenes. Yeah, and I that so Aaliyah like being into him. It's like fun to see that grow throughout the movie, but at the same time, I feel like it doesn't really go anywhere. It doesn't. It, it's not delivered on, and it's not even like enough to even parallel it with Romeo and Juliet. Final thoughts? It's pretty good. It's not the worst movie I've ever seen. Yeah, it's not the worst movie with uh, half this cast in it either, because Cradle to the Grave also has Anthony Anderson in it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. Uh, it's at the very least not as bad as you think it's going to be when you start it. The movie is definitely better than I expected it to be, if I'm being completely honest. I thought this movie was going to be on the verge of like some Scott Adkins type <laughs> shit where it's just like super cheap and super ugly. Yeah. And because they put in like a fucking famous singer and a rapper, I just assume like, yo, they couldn't have put much money into this. Yeah. But. Turns out it was actually a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Agreed. Coming up, we have No Concessions, our uh, titular segment where we make a case for our favorite or least favorite movies. We'll see you after the jump. With no concessions, where we make a case for our favorite or least favorite movies. Let's start with you. Uh, I've got a positive no concessions, lucky number seven, where you do have a love story and you do have two antagonistic uh, criminal organizations who are in an unshaky truce with each other, but it does balance those two storylines fairly well. And. I don't really want to say too much more about it without giving away what happens. Uh, the setup is it's just like a, a guy who um, 
suffering from like a mistaken identity. Uh, Josh Hartnett is the protagonist and both of these crime families say, Hey, you owe us money thinking he is somebody else who's disappeared, who really owes them money. And so you have his insight, rather his point of view into why each of these organizations don't like each other and how he tries to survive the fact that both of them are trying to kill him. Also Lucy Liu love interest, but it's not annoying like this movie because she can act. (laughs) I got uh, negative note concessions. It's uh, the original little shop of horrors, not the musical, the 1960... The play? No, (laughs) it's not based on a play. It's based on a shitty, really, truly terrible movie. Came out in 1960. It's Jack Nicholson's first film appearance. Ooh. Um, Unrecognizable. I didn't... I was like, I knew... I was like, I know Jack Nicholson's in this movie, and I know which character he plays, and he shows up on screen. I don't recognize him because I've never seen Jack Nicholson look that young. But the movie is dog shit. It, it's astounding that someone liked this movie enough to adapt it into a musical, and then that musical was successful enough to turn into a movie, because the original Little Shop of Horrors is like, what if someone who's never watched um, anything with a plot before tried to write a Twilight Zone script? It's like, it's the story of Little Shop. Like it's, they, the musical doesn't really fundamentally change the story. There is um, some, like, shitty dude who has nothing and works at a flower shop and there's a lady there and he finds a plant somehow and that plant convinces him to start uh killing people to make things happen um but it's fucking off like it's (laughs) the acting is really bad there's like they wrote their characters that were written out of the musical because they serve no purpose like stanley's uh, or sorry, Stanley. Uh, Seymour's mom is this weird hypochondriac who's really just fucking hammered all the time. And all they ever eat is like medicine and booze. And the only endearing part of this movie is the actress who plays Audrey plays such an endearing dumb that it's charming (laughs) like it's the only performance that's in any way redeemable in this entire thing there's like a 15 minute chase sequence at the end of it like where seymour's running away from the police and like what the fuck is happening why is this because like it's only like an hour long it's like an hour and 10 minutes long and it feels longer than sucker punched it it's so (laughs) fucking terrible and i watched it i was like little shop of horrors is one of my favorite musicals of all time. It's one of my favorite movies, like top 10 favorite movies. And it came from something so incredibly bad that I can't understand how we got there culturally. How did this happen? <laughs> like someone took dog shit and turned it into gold somehow. And it was a, I was mad to know that the original was this bad. I watched this right at the beginning of quarantine i'm still upset about it (laughs) so og little shop of horrors if you got amazon prime you can watch it but fucking don't sounds like great advice my no concessions pick as mentioned earlier is den of thieves starring gerard butler 
and a gang of cops. Like right now is a very tumultuous time for police media because like when you see somebody like a cop beating the shit out of somebody on screen, it's kind of just like dog. Like I can watch over 700 of these videos on Twitter and like there's no recourse for any of these guys. So why would I want that in my media? Yeah, well like that's the point is that there's no recourse. <laughs> it's you watch this movie, you watch this movie and it's just cops being awful people and like the thieves like kind of just being mild mannered like they don't do anything too crazy one guy kills a uh, security guard and they shoot at cops early on in the movie but like they are like extremely chill compared to the cops that are after them like they're part of some like extra cool unit of cops who like eat donuts that are left out at crime scenes and like uh, kidnap people and hang out with hookers and get divorced and shit. And it's like, dog, like none of the people in the movie are like charming or fun or endearing. Wait, are those cops supposed to be the good guys? The cops are supposed to be the good guys. (laughs) The cops are supposed to be the good, like they kidnap uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr. Fucking ice cube son very early in the movie to like get information out of him and like Gerard Butler is like harassing him and like asking him if he's gay or whatever and like he pissed himself after he classic was classic interrogation technique it came out in 2018 yeah dog <laughs> it's 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 a real bad movie he's like slapping him a whole bunch and like Ask him very weird questions like, yeah, your dick wasn't hard when these girls were changing your pants. They cleaned you up, but your dick didn't get hard. Do you, are you sure you like women? And it's like, the, whoa, <laughs> like, whoa, like pump the brakes. Like you, the cops are just assholes. And like when they get into confrontations with the FBI later in the movie, it's just like, the, am I supposed to side with the FBI right now? Because I am. Like, is this, <laughs> is this the point of the movie? Like, to paint these cops as, like, super unsympathetic? And, like, the the team of thieves, all except, like, o- O'Shea and a couple of his boys get killed. And, like, one cop is killed and, like, two are injured pretty badly. But, like, the cops come out on top. And I was like, I was like, dog, like, what the fuck was the point of this? Like, just to show that, like, you can be a huge asshole and still get away with whatever the fuck you want? Like, what what, what, what were we doing here? What was the whole point of this? Because, like, it tries to humanize Gerard Butler's character midway through. And he, like, comes home at five in the morning. And his wife comes downstairs. And she's like, where the fuck were you? Like, where were you? You've been out all night. You didn't text. You didn't call. And he was just like, I was out. I was, you know, you know, babe, I got to fight crime or whatever the fuck. <laughs> and like, she's just like, oh, psych, you did text me. Oh, you're so hot right now. You, you're a bad bitch. Huh? Did you mean to send this to me? I'm getting divorced. I don't want to see you. <laughs> and she takes the kids and packs them up. And he's just like, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And I'm like, well, you are an asshole. So <laughs> I, what do you want me to say? The movie is terrible, mostly because like nobody is likable in the movie like nobody not a single person and like the criminals do things that make sense which is cool like they they do they take actions like at one point one of the guys wants to kill O'Shea Jackson because the cops have been talking to them but it's like he's like all right fuck it whatever it doesn't matter tell them exactly what we're gonna do fuck it see if they can stop us and that's what happens yeah the movie is bad don't yeah 
don't fucking watch it. I think I've seen 15 minutes of that and was like, no thanks. Yeah. That does it for this week's episode of No Concessions. Uh, do you guys have anything to plug? Follow me on Twitter at No Hypothesis. How about you? Also follow, follow me on Twitter at The Charles Time. You can follow the show on, on Twitter at XNoConcessions. Haven't posted in a long time. Not a lot of reasons for that. <laughs> and you can follow my personal account at that Denzel. But it's mostly me commenting on how much I hate cops and how bad society is. So if you're not really trying to see that, now's not a good time to follow. We'll see you in two weeks.